Hey, I'm Danny Belvin. And I'm Danica Brown. And we're biracial unicorns. And yes, I do cut my own hair. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> I don't I don't know what the world's gonna be like when this comes out, but girl, the people cutting their own hair, it's giving me life. I'm sorry. <laughs> it, it, it shouldn't. I didn't know you were so mean. <laughs> Apparently I am. But some of them are successes. You're assuming that I'm taking pleasure in all the ones of girls who are growing out bangs this year. It's <laughs> it's so messed up. I'm so sorry. I find it like personally offensive when I see bad bangs because bangs are such a part of who I am. They are. You like, must be a pro at cutting your own because you cut your own hair right i do yeah mm. i do yeah i think i i wouldn't say i'm a pro but it's like a very simple cut mm. i have pretty agreeable hair so mm. not too bad when you cut your hair sh- super short ages ago did you do did you uh-huh. just like did you just grab it snip it went went on your way or did you go get it professionally done i definitely had it professionally done i mm. I've cut my hair short in my adulthood one, two, three, four times. And those are like the four professional haircuts <laughs> I've had in my adulthood because otherwise I just grow my hair long, trim the ends. Hmm. That's wise. I, you know what? There's so, that's, I guess for me, I don't understand. And this is, this is not good of me. There's so there's so much like resources out there on how to do like basic. If mm. you're like desperate and you just need a little a little trim up, especially maybe it might be a little more complicated for guys because you guys want fades and you, got, you need layering. But but just for just getting your ends or how to do bangs without butchering them, there's so much. But maybe that should prove to people you need to treat professionals with dignity and respect because it's not that easy. It's true. I think the problem with bangs and probably the problem with a lot of haircuts and why it's good to leave it to the professionals is people don't realize you can't just like look at a picture and you're like, that is the hair I want. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and I feel like bangs are the easiest for those of us who just have like straight hair without Mm. any curl to it there's not a whole lot to worry about but if you have like the slightest wave to your hair Mm -hmm. you better know what you're getting into girl phone a friend you need to reach out i don't i have never had bangs and i i I have i do faux bangs i'll do all all the trick like all the tricks i can with my hair to achieve the illusion of bangs but no i know what i'm messing with i can't i can't risk it it's not worth it. It's a commitment, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I mean, I guess right now, may as well make that commitment and let it grow out. <laughs> Now's the time for, if you want to see if that hair color suits your pigmentation, go for it. You think you can pull off dreads? Why not? Like, just, it's a free-for-all. <laughs> it's a free-for-all. I will, I support you. Just pictures or it didn't I happen. love it. So. That's hilarious. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, I'm I'm glad we had that kind of nice light opening because we're going to get into something a little a little something meatier today. Uh it was actually a request or a suggestion. Yes, uh via Instagram from Juliet. Yes. So, thanks Juliet. Yeah, she suggested that we watch a documentary 
uh, by PBS, which is amazing. It's actually based upon a book written by uh, Monique W. Oh, Dr. Dr. Monique W. Morris called Push Out, the criminalization of black girls in schools. Yes. We did something a little different with mm-hmm. this request because PBS is awesome. Yes. PBS turns out is only available in the US. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you all would be really shocked. I don't I think people think like the internet is the internet and it's available everywhere. You guys, there's a lot of things that I they block me. It's very it's a personal attack. And so I've tried yeah. I've tried to go around it. I won't say how. But I have tried and it doesn't work out that way. So we had Danny watch the movie on Awesome PBS, and I have purchased her book. I have not finished it, which is really great because, once again, getting things mailed over here is a bit complicated at the time. But I've also watched some amazing uh, commentary, some interviews, some TED Talks, and so we are going to do our best. And I don't know if you will really review a documentary. How would you like reflect on it? I think we called our last thing a, a review, mm. and it was a docu series. So I guess let's call it a review. Yeah, review slash discussion. Mm. Yes, I, I like that. I think that fits it perfectly. So, so yeah, the basis of this documentary and this book and these talks are very much what it sounds like. It's about the place that. Black girls occupy in schools, in public education settings in the U.S. in particular, and how it is in many ways a system set up to fail these mm. these girls, criminalizes them, pushes them out. It's not necessarily a happy topic, but I would say that the documentary itself, while it deals with a lot of really difficult, hard things, uh, there's also a lot of empowerment within it. I agree. It has a similar tone when we were discussing healing generational trauma to where it is not an easy topic, but there's so much victory in discussing it. And there is a lot to celebrate and the work that has been done. And just, I was just remarking to Danny with both the movie and the book, just having so many women of color professionally being able to come out and speak on this, that research is, is on the way. It is being done. People are getting this information out here. I find that really empowering. Solutions are being put into practice. That part I find so encouraging. So there is kind of that balance of you don't get to enjoy the victory of people saying, yes, this is indeed out here, but we're coming out here addressing it and working hard for women of color. If you don't first acknowledge and really kind of soak into what's actually really happening, getting down to these heart root issues. So you have to do the work. Something that was really lovely about the documentary is the majority of people you saw speaking were Black girls or Black women, Mm. which I thought was really important because it's, you know, there's nothing worse than like, this is about Black girls and then not Mm. showing Black girls or, or just showing them and not allowing them to speak. So for me, the most powerful part of the documentary was listening to these girls 
and being so impressed by how aware they are of society, how aware they are of trauma, how aware they are of natural responses to these things and how self-aware they are. Like, it's so apparent that these girls that are in this documentary have done the work. Yep. And we talk about that a lot, like our, our striving to do the work and our hope that everyone is out there doing the work. But like these girls have done it and mm-hmm. it is apparent and it is inspiring. And I'm just like, I can't believe you're a 12 year old talking about this stuff. Like, I am so impressed. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, there were girls ranging from 12 to 19 in the documentary and they were all amazing. That's so good. Well, another kind of takeaway from this, and I know this is kind of, it's not quite off topic. We did an episode, and I suggest you about how to be an ally. And I think something that Danny just said kind of sparked something in me of letting these young black girls talk. And I think for anyone who wants to be an ally or what we've kind of changed to a co-conspirator, this is how you do it. Like within this, this documentary, letting the voice of the thing you're actually trying to bring up, letting the person, let that, that topic be the driving force, letting them tell their own stories, their accounts, what they, what they want to see change. I thought if someone who wants to go out there, make movies, make documentaries, write books, articles, have open forums, and you're not a person of color, but you feel very passionate about it, just letting you know, this is probably a really good resource. You should really go for it and see how, how this was made. Yes. Probably a large part of that is the fact that, you know, the author herself, Mm -hmm. she's a black woman. Mm. So I think there's a lot of power she sees in creating that space for girls to share their own stories. Mm. And some of these girls had very tragic stories to share and had been through some really hard things. And, And once again, I just found it inspiring that they were able to work with organizations and with mentors and people who supported them enough that they were able to get to a place where they could process the things that have happened. They could process the system in which they were in and they could not only just move forward, but also like thrive, Mm. which I think is really great. The bulk of it, I feel like, though, was about educating about uh, the issues that Black girls face, right? Like, and there, there are several issues that we could talk about within it. There's, you know, the fact, and we've talked about this before, just like the perception of Black girls, and by extension, to a certain extent, brown girls, as being angry, as physically going through puberty earlier than their white counterparts by going up against this idea of a good girl is like a white girl who doesn't have sex, right? And so like finding themselves having to push against that and like what makes a good girl, what makes a bad girl? Why am I by default in this bad girl category even when I've done nothing wrong? And I think something that the documentary did really well was that it acknowledged that a lot of children go through a lot of things, right? It's not just black girls, but one of the big differences and one of the big obstacles is the fact that not all kids are treated 
the same uh-huh. when they're going through these things. And so having to fight up against that and deal with your own things is something that further makes it more difficult to excel in a system. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what's so, like you said, the driving force behind this particular book in the movie, uh, Dr. Morris, her kind of taking it back a little bit, talking about her motivation. Um, within her book, she talks about talking about tragic stories. She unapologetically tells these stories in a way that is still cuts you to your heart. Like I said, that's not these young ladies' identity. Mm-hmm. She talks about that's what really puts her, because like I said, she's an activist. She's been in social justice. She's been working in detention centers and juvenile centers with young women of color for a long time. But her seeing the increased discipline and the aggressive nature that black girls have been using, I'm sure we could probably list several viral videos of police officers coming into schools. Um, I can think of the the one with a young lady in 2015 where she's in a desk and she gets flipped over by a police officer or another police officer breaking up a pool party and slamming a young lady of color into the concrete wearing a bathing suit. These are young teenagers. And so I feel this is such a great timing. And she talks about in one of her conferences about the Black Lives Matter movement still being amazing and not degrading it whatsoever, but still feeling like black girls are getting kind of lost in the movement. And so having that space and that time to where she's, she's bringing the numbers, she's bringing the professionals and saying, we, we can't forget if black lives matter, that includes female lives as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I think there's something like it does not take away from our, our, our males of color whatsoever, but it's one of those things of just kind of, taking up that space as we talk about a lot on the show of like there's room for these young ladies as well and you're completely right about already coming in <laughs> in the negative when it talks about school of having to live in this duplicity of like not only am I a young lady going through puberty and body changes and it's going to look differently on my body so already I'm going to have that mark against me of how clothes are going to fit my body how my hair is going to look how I'm going to physically look like and have my home stuff as well. Nobody have talked about that a little bit. And now I'm dealing with whatever bias my teacher has against me, whether I'm going to be too loud, aggressive, ghetto, or ratchet. That is before, right. you, yeah, before you even turn in an assignment or have any kind of encounter with that. You're carrying that already. You know, you can imagine a kid with a backpack. She's already carrying a heavy load before she even picks up a book. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. In the documentary, they talked a lot about ACE score. Mm -hmm. I don't know if she mentioned that in the book, but ACE, A-C-E, stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. Mm. And so it's like a very simple questionnaire. It's 10 questions. And your ACE score is how many of those questions you can say yes to. And it deals with violence, abuse, neglect, witnessing those things, family members who have you know, mental health issues or addiction issues or have been incarcerated or also instability due to parental separation or um, Mm. other things. So it's a very simple questionnaire. And a lot of people, so it's like first introduced in the early 90s. And a lot of people, they're very common, like 61% of adults surveyed across the country had at least like like one point on the scale. Mm. And one in six had experienced four or more. 
Mm. But some children are at greater risk than others, right? Like women and or girls, I guess, and racial ethnic minority groups typically were at a much greater risk for having experienced at least four of these Mm. types of things. And so they talk about that. And there's like a group of girls who are working with an organization to kind of empower them. And one of the women speaking talks about like, I have a very high ACE score. Like I live with a high ACE score. You cannot tell by looking at me because no one can tell my story by just looking at me. And no one can Mm. tell your story by just looking at you. And I found that very powerful. Mm. And it's actually like, it's something I think about a lot. Like I also have a fairly high ACE score and it's like something that's not apparent. Right. So like A lot of people kind of struggle with these things. And just like you're saying, these girls struggle with these things and then go into school where they're treated a certain way because of preconceived notions. Uh, There's another line in the documentary where they talk about just because a kid isn't smiling doesn't mean she's disrespecting you. And I thought that that was like really powerful. Exactly. But that goes back to once again, if they're thinking specifically women of color Uh, black girls who they deem to be older they're hold to a higher standard of behavior do you know Mm -hmm. uh when she was talking yeah when she was talking about one of her open forums of just talking about you know they have documented evidence and cases of children five and six years old having a tantrum in school and being arrested arrested right that's the thing for a moment they saw that six-year-old child having a tantrum and were afraid. That's what that told me. That they didn't see a child. You know, they saw a ticking time bomb. They saw something that there was no humanness about that. There was fear. Right. You, you know, and yeah. Yeah, there was a story in the documentary about a girl who when she was she was young, she was like seven or eight, and she had like changed schools. She'd like done really well at her old school, clearly like a very bright young lady, and she was having problems with her teacher. Her teacher mm-hmm. who like clearly had some racist shit going on. But at first her parents thought it's the adjustment, right, of changing Mm. schools. They interviewed the parents in the documentary too, and they're like, that was like our bias of like, no, we're gonna listen to the teacher because the teacher's an authority, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. more than our own daughter about what's going on. And one day, like, she got into a fight with another girl in their class. The teacher like drags her chair out into the hallway with her on it and leaves her in the hallway. Yep. And then they like go to recess, they walk past her, teacher doesn't even look at her, all of this. And then so this this little girl, this 8-year-old kid decides like this is enough. This is like pushed me too far. I'm leaving and just like <laughs> leave school. Mm-hmm contemplating suicide like just wandering around like on a overpass of a freeway and then like decides she can't do that and then like wanders into a walmart where they're like oh 
you can't be in here without an, a parent. And they kick her out. And then they call the police and they're like, a 12-year-old girl, black uh-huh. girl. It, and she's eight. And like, they showed pictures of her too. Like, I get that sometimes kids look older than they are. To me, she looked like an eight-year-old. I don't yeah. know. Like, she did not look 12. You know, she's like wandering around. Meanwhile, the school has called her parents. It's like 11 a.m. And they're like, oh, we don't know where your daughter is. Yeah. And they're like, what? So her, her dad is like looking for her everywhere. And they find her finally, like two hours later, oh. just wandering around like this <sighs> poor kid. Right. Like, I, I oh mean, it is so like. I feel like it just illustrates Mm -hmm. the impact of these things on a child. Like you can't expect a child to know how to cope, to have like the coping mechanisms for dealing with this structural racism when it's presented to them directly. Exactly. We want them to already be, especially if we view them to be more mature, to just already know how to deal with that. Or because, you know, it might not come off as being racist as first to them but they're just dealing with an aggression and what do you do like it's so funny in the book she talks about especially black girls who question motivation or something that they see as an injustice which we talked about that might even be an inherent trait we don't want to go back into that so they're getting this fight or flight or freeze mechanism doing that something could be already intergenerationally into their coded their dna or the aggravated at-home trauma, which once again, they might not know about. So they're having a response and they're thinking, is that not normal? Are they not acting in a normal way for them to question how something is going on in a classroom if they deem it to be unfair or if they're not clear? And yet it's deemed to be disrespectful when it's actually a very normal human response. Yes. Even with, and, and here's just something to take away. If you all heard the story, of, da- of Danny uh, recounting that story back to you and your thought was, well, she shouldn't have gotten to a fight. Please keep listening because I think you actually might be part of the problem. If I may be so bold, <laughs> it's but, but just a couple of statistics. Cause I, you know, I was, I always ask my loved ones, my friends and family who are white and you know, they, they deal with all of my intensity. What will we get to you? What, has and will change your mind and some people like they they want to hear the the story some people want to hear about my own personal experience and some people say numbers numbers so here yeah. here's one of the ones uh where uh, dr morrison did a ted talk in 2019 so these are fresh uh black girls are seven times more likely than their white peers to be suspended mm-hmm. so the black girls are also two times more likely to be referred to juvenile court than their white and Latinx peers of uh, 2016. This is the one that she actually did in an open forum. And this one, I actually had to stop because I just couldn't because I have a, a, a small child. 20% of black girls make up the populace of preschool. So preschool age can be about three to four, maybe five, depending on some places where the cutoff age. So it's still going to be about, let's say, average about four years old for preschool, four to five, right? They're saying they make up 20% of that populace in 2016, but they still make up over half of the amount of children who are suspended in preschool. It's nuts. Like, you don't need any more proof, people. The numbers are there. Right. I mean, like, no one should be suspended for preschool. Very rarely should that even happen. Um, So that's just outrageous anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I think those numbers were also 
in the documentary. And something that I thought was really interesting is they talked a lot about there was like a charter school, a public charter school. I can't remember where, um, but it was like a girls preparatory school. And they like one of their key things, like the majority of their population was black girls. And one of their key things was like working on this racial inequality in education. And they were able through like restorative justice and mm. teacher training and initiatives, they were able to decrease those numbers like 70 to 100 percent. So it's like it's possible, like it's possible to live in a world where black girls aren't being treated worse, right? Aren't having the deck stacked against them. Like it's possible, but it takes work to get there and you need invested families, you need invested teachers, you need invested administration, and you need to have the freedom to reevaluate and change punitive systems uh, to best serve the children. Mm -hmm. We also need cultural competency, which is what we've talked about beforehand. And we can't be afraid to say these things of talking about culture is relevant to children's education. Uh, Dr. Morse is talking about education being freedom work, you know, to being able to, mm-hmm. to release and allow these young ladies to be able to flourish and really putting back the emphasis of the importance of education, shaping the person's intellect and be able to break them free of a lot of the bondage of things that society could possibly put them into, especially like you said, of the high A score young ladies of just seeing how education breaks those chains. Mm. And I think it was one of those things of when asking people, how are we going to participate in being a chain breaker? When I was, you know, prepping for this episode and, you know, I'm sure, I mean, you're an educator. I have a lot of friends who are educators. And it's one of those things of how do you make it sound like, you know, you're, you're racist and you need to be better. I'm like, whew, that is not, that is not the takeaway for this. Now, do I believe there are some educators who have some racist garbage back in in their closet? I sure do. Do I believe that we all have a bias and we all have shortcomings? I also sure do. Piggyback off of what Danny just said, I want to encourage educators and also parents and also the community that this this isn't hopeless. You know, there there are ways, but we have to first kind of talk about it and bring it to the light. But it does take take work. But we're seeing more and more examples of schools that are taking upon these measures, you know, talking about the the no tolerance policies, dealing with things about dress code and and, and hair, you know, all these things that are really the distracting part of education of young black girls, not black girls themselves, giving mm-hmm. them space to be unapologetically black and brown. Yes, and I'm absolutely. Excited. I hope I I really hope more schools will allow that to be give space to be black and to be brown. They talked about in the documentary as well the disproportionate amount of white educators within the system, right? Like there are not enough black women teachers. I'm not saying that like as a white educator, you wouldn't be able to connect with your students, but I am saying that one they're not going to feel like you've lived the same experience that they have, whether or not that is true. 
right? Like you might have had a a difficult upbringing and you may have gone through like a lot of the same things, but like they are not going to see that. Um, So they're not going to see you at first glance as somebody to confide in and someone who is on their team. And I feel like there are a lot of structural things that you need to evaluate within yourself in order to best serve your students. And and that's true for all educators, like not just mm. white educators. Exactly. There is real power in having a teacher who looks like you and who you feel like you can connect with and feel like you've had the same experience as. Exactly. Did you ever have a black woman teacher, Damika? <laughs> I, seventh grade, I had a history teacher, Mrs. Stevenson. It was for New, Mexi- uh, New Mexico history. So we have to take mm. that in the seventh grade. Yeah. It, so, yeah, it was the history of New Mexico. And I remember being, I mean, to be completely, I was uncomfortable because that was shocking to me. It was really mm. shocking to me. There were there were moments and things that she would say that would feel so familiar. And other times it would be, I was almost so shocked that I, I didn't know because w- it was just different. That was my, and after that, oh gosh, I think that might've been it for me. I was in BSU and it would have one or two, but they weren't my teachers. I didn't see them day mm. in and day out. Do you know what I'm saying? I didn't have right. them for years and years. So gosh, I'd have to, I'll probably be like, oh, I had another one. But I mean, how old are we both? And even in right. university, I mean, I mean, don't even start getting up to like college level as well. Yeah. So did you? Um, well, as a, like a black woman teacher, my third grade teacher was a black woman, Mrs. Hooks. She was like my first person of color who was a teacher and she was awesome. She was loving and great. Like I have lots of fond memories of third grade, I guess. Um, but like someone who like looks like me is a hard question. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could easily that's like a whole thing to unpack i suppose but i didn't have any like latino chicano teachers until middle school and there like pretty much all the majority of my teachers were um and that's because i went to a predominantly latino chicano school where it was like 90% of the population, (laughs) the student Mm. population was, and probably like half of the faculty was. So it was actually a lot, but it would, there was like a lot of power in that, I think. And like, as far as we talk a lot about on the show, like being seen, right. Mm. And like, I remember I had one teacher in particular who really made me feel seen and like, you know, like accepted me for who I was as like, a Chicana who was also <laughs> mixed race and who was also like into like a variety of things that weren't necessarily seen as like Chicano things, I guess. Uh, Mr. Vallejos, he was my math and science teacher in sixth grade and he was great. And he like knew I was really good at math and <laughs> had me working out of a ninth grade math book. <laughs> Mm. on my own in class as a way to like support me and have me like do things that were challenging so that was that was cool Mm. it's there's something about that well we've it is a very natural 
thing for us to gravitate towards people who are similar to us. If you want to talk about like down at a most primal level of ourselves, when we're in a new and uncomfortable situation, it's going to be natural that we gravitate towards what we know. And there's so I think there's some people who would saying that, that that's promoting segregation or racist tendencies to say, oh, we need to have more of that. No, all it is saying it's giving one more wall or barrier that we mm-hmm. don't have to worry about crossing when we have more teachers of color. And also it's going to benefit all students, not just those of color, because I think that also help will give better yes. representation to your white students as well, to be able to receive instruction, to be able to come underneath that, uh, the authority as well, an authoritative, healthy figure in an education setting that is of color. You, it, it, it's ticking off multiple boxes, people. It's not simply because it will just make things, you know, in quotation marks easier. It's what's saying is that you're breaking down barriers when we have more space and more representation, when the numbers start ebbing and flowing in a way that is more diverse. And more, and more open. And the thing is, when we have schools, we talk about making positive changes towards opening up school policies that are more in depth to what's really going on in their students' lives. How can you really do that without having people of color representing ways that might make it better for their students who are also of color? Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's kind of like it's like starting at the top, really. So we have this amazing doctor who wrote this book, who's giving out psychology, who is including other people of color, who are trying to make it inclusive to where it's making everyone lifting up everyone else. Does that make sense? And they're coming from a place of, I mean, the, I don't know in the documentary if the um, if Dr. Morris brought up her own life experiences, but that's what she's bringing to the table her own ACE score, basically, of what she's had to go through. And then in turn, using that. There's something incredibly powerful. Once again, we go back to people sharing their stories of the face of the people who they're trying to fight for. Of course, they want to sit here and be like, you know, black girls are being mistreated. Here are the numbers. Here's everything else. But what, what we're really trying to home through is that there's there's a humanization issue here that's happening at the most base, base, base level. You know, we can, we can throw a lot of big words and terminology at you, but at the base level, we are dehumanizing and taking the the innocence and the ch- childness away from young ladies, specifically black girls, but also brown girls as well. We need to restore them and allow them to be children, restore them and allow them to be black and, and care about them and draw them in, is, which is the opposite of push out. Because the yes. further we push them away, I mean, because that's the thing. That's the whole thing. That's why it's called push out. When you're being punished, get put off. I mean, honestly, that was the worst part for me whenever I was being punished is that having that closed off, having that door closed, you know, getting any kind of silent treatment or knowing my parents were disappointed in me and having that, that barrier in that wall, instead of having them in and fixing in those problems. Hey, let's actually fix the problem. You got into a fight. Hey, let's heal that relationship. Hey, you got an issue with the teacher. Let's fix them in that bond. Let's put that together. So it doesn't stop your education. They push you out and suspend you and they pull yes. you away. Does that mean? And they set you apart. And in this time of isolation, you know, like I said, we don't know when this is coming out, but a lot of us are in isolation right now and may be struggling. Do you think that's what would be best for a child in a punishment situation to be able to sit and dwell and feel otherized at home? Right. I mean, I I was not in a lot of trouble at school for the most part. But in high school, 
<laughs> I got in trouble, mainly for truancy. And I found mm-hmm. it so baffling that the punishment, like, I had to go to court for truancy. And, like, the punishment was always, like, suspension. Like, how is that? Like, clearly stuff is going on where I don't want to be at school. And so you're going to punish me by telling me I can't come back to school. Like, I don't like how is that restorative at all? And how is that making it so a kid would want to go to school? Um, So it's not only like the, the problem of isolation, but it's also the problem of like, you're not really wanted here anyway. So don't be here. You know, mm, exactly. I mean, it was actually uh, my best friend. He, I asked him about his sister who I knew who, who was a beautiful woman of color and asked about her time in school. And she had stories and she talked about her own experience of truancy and having to go to court as well. And how the group that was discovered were, were white and Latinx, but she got 50 hours of community service while everyone else got 20. And the judge said he just didn't feel like she was mournful enough. She didn't cry enough. She wasn't upset mm. enough. And so she got 50 hours. And I mean, that, that's not the only thing as well. And I'm just hearing about, I remember watching her. She was a senior when I was a freshman. And, you know, I was quite quiet kid, but just watching her own experience and then, you know, asking through her brother of just what, in a deeper level of what that was like. And I think sometimes we think, oh, that's horrible out into the world. But ask people, ask them, ask them the question. You know, if you if, be prepared for the answer. But <laughs> yeah, no, but that that for real, like brings up things for me too. like uh-huh. as a girl who ran with a lot of white kids. And, and now I'm thinking like I wasn't in a lot of trouble, but I got in trouble occasionally. And I'm thinking back to elementary school and it's like, who are the kids that get sent to the office? Like of yep. the group of us who were doing something wrong, it was like always two and it would always be me as one of the two. Like, and why me? Because I was the person of color. I was the girl. Like, it, it's it's tokenization, right? Exactly. And it works for both ways. And I, I guess kind of want to maybe touch on this, maybe slightly see how see how you're feeling about it is. So why why for mixed unicorn people? Mm. Why would we why would we kind of bring this up? Because we as we talked about like, what, what would be the spin for us? I don't know if you've experienced that. So for me personally, I, I have had a few, I've gotten to a couple of fights in middle school and it, I definitely got a much harsher punishment, especially when the fights were brought onto me. I remember one time, like I was actually jumped and I'm the one who got in trouble for it. It was very, and once again, it's kind of like what you said, having that lens of being drawn back. I just thought I was a bad kid. And then you look back you're like, oh, actually, no, I was a goody two shoes. I was a good kid, or at least for me, I was a complete square. I'm still a square. But looking back on that, being like, oh, oh, that's why. But being a mixed person, there, <laughs> there's another layer. There's another, there's another stone in the backpack. There's a little, a little extra weight. Not saying it's worse than. I'm just saying it's different. Up to where, like for for some of us who might be on the lighter side of that, of becoming the token. Of being like, oh no, well that you know, well you're not that kind of black person. You're not that mm. love because you don't particularly look like that or why can't you be more like that person of color who is more acceptable or more agreeable um there's the otherism the tokenism or if you happen to be on the darker side not not quite understanding or not being treated or being lumped up when you don't necessarily feel like part of the community there are multiple complexities when you start 
mixing in people who are are mixed and have different backgrounds and different upbringings and things of that nature. So you talked about the same thing of like with the A score, you might not necessarily look like someone who might have one, but you just never know. Or for me, I had a lot of fear because I would see how other black students were treated. And yeah. So you would try to distance yourself from that and have that kind of discrimination of like, I don't want to be like that because I see how people who look like that get treated and I don't want that or having the bitterness or brokenness of being like, I don't want to deal with any of that and have issues with your identity and having to do with those cross sections. Because in the book, they talk about having to deal with being a woman and a woman of color and how those identities, how they intersect and how to deal with that. But then you kind of add another little, a little another cross section of also being mixed with something else. So it's, it's interesting. So I thought from a mixed perspective of kind of reading this material and still being, you know, absolutely heartbroken, been like, well, Damika, on some aspects, you are still kind of more of an ally than a black girl. Do you still consider yourself into that category? Even though you've had similar experiences, you've also still had some privileges as well. So if you're a mixed person, you're reading the book, kind of ask yourself some of those hard questions of where do you lie on? How can you use your privileges? Where, how are you identifying? How do you work through your own cross sections? It's it's a mind job, but it's it's worth it. I agree with everything that you said. And as with everything, being mixed just complicates it further, which in complicates doesn't mean it makes it worse for us. Yeah. But it just makes it a different thing to deal with. And I think ultimately, as someone who is not black at all. Um, there's a lot that I can identify with within this documentary, but I think the heart of it deals a lot with what, in my opinion, makes it a unique struggle for black girls, which is more extreme in many ways than what I face as a brown girl and that I face as a mixed brown girl is not as far to the extreme as what I see has been the experience for a lot of the the Black girls in this documentary itself. And so considering, of course, exactly, like, what is it that I can do to be an ally in this and not just an ally, but a co-conspirator in this in dismantling the system? And it's certainly something I've been aware of and have thought of for a long time as somebody who works in education and does definitely impact my behaviors, it impacts my approach to discipline as more of a restorative justice model and also impacts my curriculum and the things that I, I teach and I talk about within the classroom. And I think that those are good steps in the right direction, but also recognizing that it's like I can't dismantle the system and solve all the things on my mm. own. Nope. That's why we you need a rally. You need a tribe and you need a community. Right. So let's let's rally. Let's let's be that and let's not be afraid. Let's not be afraid. And especially like we talked about you know, beforehand of with social media. Let's not be afraid to put this in the material out there that is based upon facts that is true and getting this into hands to people who might be uncomfortable of seeking mm-hmm. this out. But it needs to because that's how yeah. you create that's how you create a louder voice. Exactly. For me, and this is just like my personal teaching philosophy, which maybe maybe sounds a little counterintuitive to who I am as a person, um, but it's definitely part of my teaching philosophy is primarily 
like my first step in any sort of teaching setting, education setting, is what I value above all else is the relationship between teacher and student, between students, um, all of that. Like I think relationship is fundamental to everything. And so I, I firmly believe that you cannot learn something from someone who you don't have a relationship with. Mm. So I think with that attitude comes a lot of moving in the direction that the documentary and the book are suggesting, right? Like you need to be open with your students and you need to check your own biases before you can build a relationship with your students, right? And that's work. It's work to look at each student as an individual. And like, I hear that, I see that, like there were points in my life where I had like 1,200 students in one year. And so it's it's difficult to be able to yeah. build an individual relationship with every single student. But it goes back to a lot of the ideas we talk about across topics, which is like, recognizing that each person is an individual and has their own experiences and some of them are based within the racist system in which they're forced to operate and so not everybody is coming to you from the same place and not everybody's story has started at the same place exactly even just acknowledging that is an important first step. Oh, I think that's really encouraging to give to educators. So um, big shout out and love to educators. We, we respect you. We want to encourage you to do work and we hope you have resources and the go ahead to do the work. And also for people of color who might be thinking about what do I want to be when I grow up? Uh, educator would be, would pretty be badass. And if you're even talking about uh, taking out more police out of schools and putting more psychologists and counselors. I am for that. That's what you want to do. Yes. Do that. <laughs> we yes. need you. We, we need you. you. God, Freaking I think, a. I mean, clearly biased opinion, but I feel like <laughs> teachers education is like the most important thing in the world. And mm-hmm. it's a shitty world where we don't pay or value these people mm. enough. But damn, do I want more people of color in that space? I want it so badly. Yes, yes. And I mean, different kinds of instructions. Like there's not even just like traditional like, teachers of all sorts, instructors of instructors of all sorts at all levels. So just think, have a think. I'm not trying to tell you what to major in. I'm just, or change your careers. I'm just saying have a think, guys. <laughs> yes. All right. Anything else? Any other big takeaways? Or should we we move on? Ugh, girl, honestly, we really could break this down. Like, I w- would love to talk about, like, restorative justice. And, like, but honestly, we have to put it on the shelf right next, like, in our next door. We'll put it in our cellar next to our cellar skeleton. And we'll get back to it later. And yeah, but I should we thank you for the suggestion. That yes, thank you, Juliet. Juliet is actually a teacher. Oh, Juliet. Oh, of course. Thank you, Juliet. 
Yeah, she's a teacher and a wonderful co-conspirator in the world. And I know she's she's recently moved on. This is some inside baseball uh, for people who, because I know her, she has (laughs) moved on from a teaching career to more working for a school district. So it's always amazing for me to think about people who are incredible teachers and incredible co-conspirators. And I know she holds a lot of the social justice issues like very close to her heart. And I love the fact that she's working in a, a larger capacity to impact more students. So congratulations to you, Juliet. Yes. And thank you for the suggestion. I really appreciate it. Oh, now see, that makes me happy. Should we continue? The happiness? Yes. <laughs> Damika, what is your happy place? Moi? No, I, yes, so, you. Yeah, it's wow, your time. Wait. Tell me. <laughs> I'm flabbergasted. <laughs> I want to. I want to hear what you have to say. All right. Tell me. I. So I'm going to need your help with some of this. All right. So I have really. I've enjoyed these before, but I think it's one of the things of when you get when you have a kid, you get to re-enjoy some things and then take mm. it to the next level. You know. So I have been really enjoying Studio. Is it Ghibli? Or Ghibli? Is it Ghibli? Anyway. No, people, no, okay. it's Ghibli. It's Ghibli. Is it? Okay, so I say Ghibli. And some people are like, it's Ghibli. And I'm like, I think it's Ghibli. Anyway, so Studio Ghibli is yeah, responsible. Well, oh, God. Yeah, I was just going to say, it, in Japanese, like, the way that it's written out is Ghibli. So it's Ghibli. Think Ghibli. Okay, so Ghibli. Studio Ghibli, they make these beautiful... And they make gorgeous films. I mean, it's, it's Kiki, the Delivery Witch, if anyone's Spirited Away. But, but those are like the classic ones a lot of people know. Anyway, I have kind of tapped the keg, as I like to say it with my child. <laughs> Sometimes I'll just tap it and just see if she's into something. And been like, oh, she's not. I'll take it away because I don't want to ruin it for her later. But she's been like, she, you know, we're always... Because of the circumstances, I try to make things really special. So we, she does a lot of schooling during the day. We try to do like art projects and science. It is very intense, y'all. I did. Wait, did I tell you how much I love and respect teachers? Because I've always loved and respect teachers. I'm just saying. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so it's intense. So at the night, trying to make it really nice and special, have a nice meal, pick a movie, have popcorn, whatever, just to make the days kind of. But we've been watching a lot of the Studio Ghibli movies, and it's. So lovely. It's one of those things of, I love the pace of the movies. They're a bit slower and it's just something Mm. that's very real. And I think it's teaching people. And I think especially children, that doesn't need to be intense. You know, they go from, you know, a a Disney movie being like an hour and 14 minutes is like, ooh, that's a long Disney movie. But now it's, or, you know, an hour and a half going to some of their movies being a little over two hours and, 
them not afraid of silence and pause and a long landscapes and the dialogue. And there's a, just a sweetness and a realness to some of their movies that I really get to enjoy that I get to enjoy with her. And she wants to ask me questions and I can see her really engaged. Um, my husband's not seen a lot of them either. So it's really cool to kind of share this world and geek out with them. And yeah, it's, it's really lovely. Yeah. I, I mean, as you could have already guessed, I'm sure. I love, <laughs> love the Studio Ghibli movies. My husband and I, and we stopped. I don't know why we stopped. But we were going through all of them in order <gasps> of release for a while. <sighs> so that was a lot of fun. We didn't get through all of them. But <laughs> so yeah, we should pick it back up. Can? Well, <sighs> I feel like, I think our last one was maybe My Neighbors, The Yamadas. Maybe mm. it was spirited away. I can't remember. So we're like around the year 2000 yeah. Yeah. is, you're, is you're how far the, we've gotten. You're in the modern <laughs> times. Modern <laughs> times. But I mean, you know, like I've seen most of them and he has now seen a lot of them. Uh, but like, <laughs> like, you know, we saw like Ponyo together when it came out and mm. So like they've been part of part of our lives, but like I think rewatching them, they just make me miss Japan. Like you said, like the oh. landscapes are just like so Japanese, even when they aren't Japanese. <laughs> like it's just yeah. like I'm like, ugh, it just feels like Japan. Do you have a favorite? Oh, girl, <laughs> that is that is really hard because there's some that I like for I like the look of them. And then there's some that I like the storyline design. Right. So I find it to be really too different. I So I watched for the first time, and I didn't make the correlation between the two of them until recently, which makes me feel quite dense. It was, I think it's Whispers of the Heart. And uh-huh. the Whisper ca- of the, cat, the Heart. Yeah, Whisper of the Heart, and then The Cat Returns. I never, oh, yeah. co- I never clicked of the two having that relationship. Does that make sense? And so yeah. I never clicked. I'm like, oh, this is like a no to the Baron character, which I mean, I'm sorry for people who may, may be lost. There's a cat statue. <laughs> it's called the Baron. And it's freaking adorable. And he's like top five favorite characters in animation, in my opinion. So I really loved, I love the sweet relationship between the two. One is very mm-hmm. fantasy and, you know, uh, it's just super fun and light. It's a much shorter one. And the other one is just, I love the relationship. I love the complexity. It gives me all the feels. And it's really, really lovely. I love Arietti because the backgrounds are so gorgeous. I mean, Spirit Away is absolutely stunning. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that I really like. There's a couple I can't rewatch. I've watched like once, but they, they were too intense. Like, like Grave of the Fireflies? <laughs> yes! I can't deal with children in war. I can't. Yeah. I can't. I refuse. I think, yeah. I I think I've watched it once and I don't think I could do it again. Oh, what's the one? I have to make my husband watch it, but I haven't seen it in forever. The woman's like a wolf woman. Oh, She's... um, Mononoke Hime or Princess yeah. Mononoke. Yes. I haven't seen that one in forever, but I need, I, I need, to, I'm going to basically make my husband probably watch it on our own without, it's just going to be us like our watching. So yeah. I think, do you, Is what that, are your... was that the one? And it may have may have been spirited away, but I think it was Mononoke Hime, the one where the English dub Jillian Anderson was the main character. Ooh, that might be it because I don't think I don't think Spirited Away was that. 
another thing that was now I don't know. I should probably look that up. Yeah, I I just remember there was one of them. I think it was Princess Mononoke, where Gillian Anderson played a voice. Because I remember it it had a theatrical release in the U.S. and I went to go see it because I was like super into anime, and uh, I was like, "Wait, that's Gillian Anderson!" I remember being very <laughs> excited, um, like fourteen year old me. Um, but but I haven't watched that one in particular, but I think I need to. I think there's some, it's a little bit more intense than most of them, but it's so beautiful. Like you just want to look at it. You just want to screenshot shot so many of these and just marvel at the feel there's in one of the ones you're just like, I want to go to that place, even though it's obviously an animated place, but you just, right. you know what that place feels like in the, they use light and shadow and play with sunset, like sun through trees a lot. And, you just appreciate that. And you I think it helps you with the immersion of being in that world. And I love it. I'm such a sucker for it. So it's been really fun to do that and kind of blow the dust on some of these classics. So, yep. Well, what is your favorite? Sorry. I didn't ask. Oh, I mean, I love I love a lot of them, like you said, for different reasons. But I feel like very basic with my favorites. Um hmm. Because I will always like hold a deep place in my heart for Kiki's delivery service. I know, <laughs> um, right? Because I, it was the first one I ever saw. I think, um, I think when I was a kid, a lot of people saw. Yeah, like I remember watching it when I was a kid with my sister, and so like I love Kiki. I love Gigi. I just yes, um, but I also very much love Totoro. Like my neighbor, my neighbor Totoro. Yeah, I, part of it is, and I think I've talked about this, like when we talked about Hunger Games, like anything with like a strong sister relationship, like destroys me because I love my sister so much. And so like, I love to see it in a, in a movie. So that'll always be an important movie too. And cause Cat Bus is the best bus. Cat Bus. Girl, <laughs> if I, I'm telling you, there's like another Damika out in an alternative universe who gets frivolous tattoos for whatever, and there's an alternative Damika that has a cat bus tattooed, tattooed somewhere that she'll never oh, tell. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely, <laughs> I would in a heartbeat get Neko bus like tattooed somewhere on me. I would <laughs> be so into I mean? it. <laughs> It'd be so good. It'd be so good, wouldn't it? And you just like if people who would appreciate it, you would just been like, "Yeah, we's cool. We can kick it." Yeah. <laughs> just that smile. Just yes. <laughs> so it's like the Cheshire goodness right there, but it's yep. just so good, so good. Yeah. Right, what's what is making you happy? Since I we I almost made my happy place your happy. If we I went know. On for so I long. felt like I already talked about my happy place. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You can no, cut some of this no, if you just cut no, around no, it. No, 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 no. Because like this brought me a lot of joy. I love. Oh. I love it all. I was gonna say my happy place is knitting. Nice. <laughs> I, Even in the summer. I mean, yeah. I mean, like here's the thing with my knitting. Hmm. Is it just like comes and goes I taught myself to knit when I was like 18 I think yeah like somewhere early college I taught myself to knit um and then it's like I was a very serious knitter for a while and then like 
I don't know, past 10 years or so, it's like in and out. So right now it's in, and I've been into knitting socks to be worn at a much later date. (laughs) (laughs) See, now's the time to do it, though. I'm the sucker that always starts to knit and crochet in the winter where I'm like, I'm cold, but I'm cold now. Yeah. I have this giant knit blanket that I made. It's like a king size <gasps> knit blanket that oh my took gosh. forever and is so cool. But it's also like, even though it's knit, it's like lighter weight than like a duvet, right? So it's mm. like the summer, the late spring, early summer blanket for the bed. So I think that also helps. I don't know if that like inspired the knit. I know. I think it was like, I had started knitting again and then was like, oh, yeah, it's time for the the knit blanket. (laughs) So that's been around for a while and inspires me to continue to keep knitting. Nice. Well, are you going to take a photo and show us? I can take a photo and post it. Yeah. Learning to knit was one of the most frustrating experiences of my life. <laughs> really? I, it was, thought, I would imagine you picking it up crazy quickly. Right? Like, I, I feel like I tend to be, <laughs> I know that sounds really arrogant, but like I tend to no, pick I up those up. sorts of things. I tend to pick up like those sorts of things pretty easily, but I did not pick up knitting very easily. There was a lot of swearing and a <laughs> lot of throwing shit that went along with learning to knit. <laughs> throwing needles but now (laughs) i find knitting like meditative like it's like Mm. meditation because i can just like clear my mind not think about anything in knit so it's it's nice Ooh, you finally you've reached that level of knit knit them to where you can't go on autopilot yes Oh, so good. So, so good. I Okay. Do you know how to crochet as well? Are you a strict knitter? I only know like the basics of crochet. Um, Mm. And it's only for finishing knitting projects, really. Like I've never like just crocheted a thing. Um, Mm. But I've done crochet things like in order to like do an edge on a blanket or, you know, those sorts of things. But I did learn to crochet as a child. I learned how to crochet before I knew how to knit. My neighbor, when I was a kid, was a grandma and she loved crocheting (laughs) and she used to babysit me. And so she taught me how to crochet. Nice. That is adorable. I love it. Learn learn both skills. They're great. Yeah. I mean, and you can, you can knit. While you watch some Studio Ghibli. Yeah, I was just about to say, yep, do it. (laughs) It's a date. It's great. Yes. All right, friends, we should wrap this up. So Mm -hmm. if you have some thoughts or feelings about Push Out, let us know. Uh, Or if you have a movie or a book or a TED Talk, or anything that you think we should watch or read or be aware of and talk about on the show, you should let us know. You can write us an email, biracialunicorns at gmail.com. You can reach us on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook at biracialunicorns, and we're on Twitter at biracialmagic. 
We want to give a massive shout out to our great supporters. It's going to be So Smith Photography that's taken some great photos for us. Deli Pop Art that's made our gorgeous logo. And also Joseph Scott, who's made a really great intro and outro music. Go follow them. Support them. Give them so, so much love. Tell them we said hello. And while we're talking about following and supporting, make sure that you're subscribed. Subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our new episodes. And if you're feeling extra supportive, just Mm. drop us a review wherever it is that you do listen. Uh, We would really appreciate the support and let your friends know that they should listen to us as well. Mm hmm. All right. Well, we will be back next week with a mini-sode and in two weeks with another full episode. Oh, I hope you can hang on till then. I hope so. Hang in there, unicorns. <laughs> All right. Peace. Out.